that it's it's you're right it's all a collaborative process and i'm very appreciative of the theater training because i feel like in the theater we learn that collaboration and you can and should take all of those lessons with you on set maybe the acting and the energy and whatever you put into in being in front of the camera is different but the but the collaborative mindset isn't or shouldn't be Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we share the stories and struggles of actors, podcasters, dreamers, and more attempting to climb the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hey, everybody. I'm Daniel Tuttle. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us. If it's your first time, thank you for finding us and giving us a chance. We hope you enjoy the show. If this is your 30th episode, thank you so much for coming back and sticking with us. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you. A few bits of business. Please stay tuned after the interview to listen to my reflections on my conversation with AJ for part one about how you can be more a part of the Hollywood Hustle community and a tease of changes coming to the show, as well as a little bit of knowledge and motivation dropped on you to get you through the rest of the week. So please stay tuned after the episode to take a listen to that. And I don't want to keep you too long, so let's get going. I am so excited to bring you this fantastic interview with the second half of the Insight Acting Podcast hosting duo. A few weeks ago, we began our Insight Acting Podcast Hustle Tour, hashtag IAP Hustle Tour, with a two-part conversation with Trevor Augott, where we discussed being in transition, finding a healthy life balance, and more. So make sure you go back and check out those episodes if you haven't. We also just finished a series with their marketing manager, Grace Gordon, talking about body image, uh, being yourself, and how hard it can be to afford living this artist's life. So make sure you catch that up. But today, we begin our conversation with AJ Meyer, the other half of the co-hosting duo for Inside Acting Podcast. AJ is a California native built to be a bad guy, but really, he has a heart of gold. In Act 1, AJ and I discuss growing up in California, finding a love and passion for acting at a young age, developing a selection of plays from improving scenes, and hustling between LA and New York, where AJ was in the off-Broadway musical Heathers. From that, we discuss adjusting to a new city and its energy, and how to handle failure. So grab a notepad, some hockey pads, and an iPad, and enjoy Act 1 of my conversation with actor, podcaster, and go-to bad guy, AJ Meyer. Thank you, Daniel. We are super thrilled to welcome to our podcast a fellow podcaster, actor, singer, and Apple tech guru, AJ Meyer. Originally from Victorville, California, AJ found a love for acting early on, and with a voice like his, it's no surprise he landed the role in an off-Broadway show, Heather's The Musical. With other guests and friends of the show, Trevor Algott, AJ co-hosts the fantastic Inside Acting Podcast, which just celebrated its 300th episode. Holy cow. AJ can also be seen in the film's Life Partners with Adam Brody and Broken Horses with Vincent D'Onofrio and performing in musicals and plays throughout LA. And most recently, he auditioned for Hamilton. Twice! He could have been seen in Criminal Minds or one of my personal faves, Hannah Montana. So please, everyone, prepare your ears for the one and only AJ Meyer! I, I'm going to hire you to <laughs> introduce me into every room I ever walk into. I I always ask how 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 did that feel to be 
just announce all the, all that's missing is trumpets really <laughs> you should add it you should put the, the sound effects in it's, it's real easy man no one can see us there are trumpets in this room guys <laughs> no one can see it there's trumpets there's a whole medley of trumpeteers yes yes right it looks like trumpeteers i think so is that right i think that's right yeah it looks like <laughs> that sure scene in aladdin where <laughs> he comes into town for the first time <laughs> prince uh, aj fabulous he that's right prince al and princess jasmine that's just to let you know don't be afraid to sing on this podcast i've uh, sung many times it is it's uh, it's early man we we're just talking about how we have morning voice no the only part i was shaking my head at was uh the 300 episodes thing i still can't believe it yeah that was like shaking i was like no that's not a thing it's, it's insane well it's not a technically thing. 301 uh because you've that's released true. kind of a 301 episode that's kind true. of i think it was a look back at kind of y'all's y'all show yeah um but and i think i may have congratulations. added an, another uh uh hamilton audition since uh since i recorded three hamilton auditions yeah Dang. so it was just i'm like this is ridiculous <laughs> that's crazy you're you're uh you've everything's correct though <laughs> nothing was incorrect nothing i was, was uh, i was worried <laughs> uh michael helped me put that together hashtag michael lutheran and uh uh so i, I appreciate and want to shout out to him for helping me put that all together. Yeah, um, definitely. I looked at, I watched a lot of videos. He put a lot of the knowledge together. Um, I watched a wonderful video of you singing Shiva Goddess from the last five Shiksa years. Goddess. Shiksa Goddess. Yes. Shiksa, which was fantastic. Shiva's a different religion. Yes, it is. My apologies. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I saw, I saw that video, which was fantastic. You did oh, a great job. You. And you kind of look like Jeremy Jordan a little bit in the video, uh, who was in the movie short, short hair and shaved <laughs> face i i i uh the, the range of age from clean cut mm-hmm. to not clean cut is insane trust as, me as you know trust no me, I, know. I have i have a serious be- beard envy sitting over here but <laughs> it's a it's a it's a thing to behold it's it's a it's, it's a little it's a, it's a uh, nathaniel ratliff thing going on. <laughs> a little bit man. absolutely well yeah you know i was watching I was like man you look so different and younger without the beard yeah but there's, but you, all, you know, it's so weird how like the a beard changes your presence. Mm. Like you, you know, it, it has this weird sense of, especially if it's nicely put together and clean shaven, it can add this more aggressive presence. Yeah. To it, so it's it's. I really, haven't cut my hair since I left New York. I, I it, it's great. I like so the it's, long hair. It's super long, and then and then yeah, the beard and I I booked I you know the NCISLA gig was you know. I played a terrorist. There you go. Like that's <laughs> well uh, enough beard talk. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you you you're from uh, Victorville. Yes, correct. Uh, tell what well, you know. Tell us about your family. About growing up in Victorville, real quick. You know what, what's it like? What's your family like? Um. So growing up, oh man, growing up in I, I, it, it, I don't think it's gotten any better. There's there's just there's no there's no there's really no art there. There's no art community. Um. There's very little going on for actors or acting or theater. Most of the stuff happens at like the local uh, JC, which is, you know, okay. Like it's a pretty decent community college. Um, And I found the one, the one um, community theater in Victorville, which now doesn't exist. It's it's sort of like open and folded in in a matter of uh, a few years. Wow. So I, I took advantage of as many opportunities as I had available to me which weren't many the my sort of saving grace and the person who sort of guided me and mentored me through um junior high and high school was my 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 drama teacher um mr all who i'm still very good friends with um him and his family he sort of became like a second dad to me and he was the one who 
you know, always believed in me and pushed me and expected, you know, so much from, from us. And, uh, you know, I credit him with being really good at like getting off book quickly and, um, and my work ethic when it comes to theater, especially and, and, and work and being a working actor. So he is basically the reason that I'm even doing this today. I, I never would have thought I had a lot of people, including um, a cousin who was on Broadway, um, telling me that I that it would be uh, not the greatest idea to study in college. You know, like I should if I can do anything else, I should do that instead. And so, you know, junior year rolls around and I'm like, I really I, I really feel like I want to do this. I really feel like I want to do this. And I, I didn't apply to very many um, to very many schools, but ended up getting accepted to UCLA. And that's, that's what I left, you know, Victorville to do. Mm. So I feel, I feel lucky. We had other people from my graduating class who did end up going to um, UCLA, but, but no one uh, studied theater or uh, became an actor except for (sighs) one person, uh, Stevie Ryan, who just recently, what was it like two years ago committed suicide? Oh, wow. So, um, uh, and she was, she was doing really well. You know, she was, uh, doing well. Cause she had a, like a Super Bowl commercial. I remember at once at one point, and, um, she had her own sort of like web TV show and it's just, um, it's really unfortunate, but that that's like the, Oh, that's it. This is like the two of us mm-hmm. ended up coming out here and, and working. And by here, I mean Los Angeles. Right, right, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it, do you have any brothers or sisters? Do you have uh, any? I have uh, one sister, one sister uh, who uh, I, I guess dabbled a little bit in high school with the <laughs> with the acting and plays and stuff like that and quickly realized it was not her thing <laughs> at all. Um, and she's now a PE teacher. So, okay. you know, uh, she found her calling. Yes, yeah, you know? she did. She And she, you know what? It's funny you say that because she definitely she talks about that, about how she feels like very called to the work that she does mm-hmm. now because her, you know, her dream sort of became to become a, a physical therapist for like a college or professional uh, basketball team. And since being a PE teacher, she's like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. She found like she settled. They kind of accidentally tripped into it. Yeah, what she's she really like, this is this is me. definitely this is where I'm supposed to be. That's awesome. It's, yeah. a, it's that's a great feeling when you can be like comfortable with where you're sitting and be like, I know I'm at the right spot. Yeah, at least right now. There's so many people who who don't get to experience that. Not at all. It's not an easy or uh, common thing, mm-hmm. you know. And and sometimes that the want um, can blind us from what we need. At the same time, we may, you know, if you want to be an actor, but maybe what you need to do and what's best, like what is more, what can be the more comfortable fit is something else. And when you maybe achieve that thing you wanted may not be what you like anymore. Yeah. In the end. Um, What's your first uh, memory of imagination or like creating something or you know, maybe performing outside of like a actual like theater play or something like that. Oh, interesting. I really like that question. My first experience, my first memory of imagination. I mean, I guess, you know, we were the kids, you know, my sister and I, we got up to, you know, we got in trouble a little bit. Like we, um, I have memories of, of, um, you know, drawing all over the walls in our parents' house with crayon and, um, 
one time we flooded the bathroom because we plugged all of the sinks and the ba- and the bathtub and everything and turned on the water because we wanted to play with our boats, like our toy boats. So, um, I mean, it, you know, stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. just uh, getting into getting into into trouble, kind of messing around and stuff. And I and I remember, yeah, I, I got into music. My mom was a DJ. Oh, that's cool. Uh, not like on the radio, but right. she did like. Uh, hotel lobbies and weddings and birthday parties and stuff like that. And so there's always music in our house, very, very musical house. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of like classic rock and Elvis and uh, the Eagles and, you know, stuff like that. And so there was a lot of that in the house kind of, you know, constantly. And when it came time for, you know, family and friends to come over or we had a party or whatever, um, my sister and I, mostly me, but her as well would like perform, so to speak. And we had, um, I remember we had this very like, Von Trapp style. Had, no, <laughs> not that polished. Believe me. We, I mean, we were singing, we were singing like new kids on the block and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> exactly. Yes. There's video of me somewhere doing uh. that, that song. Actually. Um, there was, I remember there was this like little like laminate flooring area just inside of our front door. So it was like this, I don't know, kind of like an entryway thing just inside of our front door. Mm-hmm. And it was probably two and a half feet by two and a half feet. And we turned that into like our stage. Nice. And we would we would like dance and sing and perform on that. That was like our our stage. Uh, you know, kind of going with first memories. What's your first memory of theater or film or television? Uh, that I watched or was like participatory? Uh, watched, like that kind of introduced you to either or. Oh, um. Oh man. I mean, I remember I, I watched a lot of cartoons. I definitely remember watching a lot of cartoons and that was sort of formative, not in that I thought I could, you know, run off of cliffs and then not die, but um just like in terms of like just having a really wacky sense of humor. Uh my my parents worked a lot and they worked really hard and sometimes they would work like one would work the day shift and one would work the swing shift. And so we were uh, sort of, we'd either get handed off or we'd go to a friend's house in the morning before school or, um, you know, they just did whatever it took basically, um, which I definitely respect them uh, and love them for. And so there were a lot of, you know, sort of mornings where my sister and I were up two hours earlier than we needed to be to go to school. And, you know, whatever friend or neighbor we ended up hanging out with that we were getting a ride to school from would end up just, you know, plopping us down in front of the TV and we would just watch whatever the, you know, morning shows were. Uh, And yeah, a lot of that was cartoons. Um, So I think that was probably my earliest sort of memory of, of sort of consuming media. But um, in terms of like early, sort of inspiration. Uh, I don't know. I guess I didn't really, I didn't really understand that. I didn't really understand my connection to the art until, um, until probably like the days of TGIF, you know, where you had like family matters and full house and later on, you know, fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like those types of shows, those were, those were some more, more, uh, I would say more formative, you know, shows. Um, 
I have friends who I've known for years who will suddenly go, oh, oh my gosh, you know who you remind me of? Will Smith. And I'm like, what? Like a white Will Smith? And it's happened more than once, so I'm not like making this up or like tooting my own horn, but I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I wish I would have known and I would add that to the introduction. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, please don't ever. Uh, but I realized that what it is is that there are some there are some just sensibilities about me that are that, that come from the fact that I watched so much Fresh Prince of Bel Air during these like very formative years like of my Will life. Smith taught you how to be a person. <laughs> a bit, yes, yes. There are worse role models. Oh, um, yeah. So so I guess. You know, there, there, that sort of era, that sort of TGIF era, was the first time where I was like really into like TV shows and like following a narrative and wanting to watch, you know, stuff, um, uh, wanting to like follow a story. Um, and then around that same time, we're talking like what eight years old or something like that, I started to do this very strange thing where I would watch. A movie so many times that I would memorize it and did you purposely memorize it or did you just happen to memorize it because you watched it so much uh the latter okay until I saw that I was really good at this and then I did the former so I did it on purpose a couple of times and the first one that I ever memorized was Aladdin (laughs) that's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, isn't it so good? Mm-hmm. Uh, so still one of my favorite films. Uh, do, my favorite. Do you still remember it? Uh, a lot of it. I mean, I can't do it. I per- so I performed it for mm-hmm. for my uncle and aunt uh, at their house one time when they were like the whole movie, the whole thing, <laughs> the entire thing from start to finish. And my uncle gave me two dollars at the end of it, and I was like, "Why are you giving me money?" And he said, "Well, because I didn't have to rent the movie." <laughs> That's amazing. And so that was my first paid acting gig. Were you so were you the uh uh the inspiration for Be Kind Rewind? The, uh, the Jack Black y- yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Jack Black and I go way back. Uh no, n- not at all. But yeah, so that was my I you know, I still say that was my first paid acting gig. Um and then I ended up as I got older I did uh I ended up memorizing Forrest Gump. Wow. And at one point, I was working on Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, okay. So, um, so definitely Robin Williams was somewhere a lot in, in your life with those. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I definitely I love him as a as a comedian, as a performer, as a person. Um, definitely miss him. That was a that was a tough one. Yeah. That I mean, was, for for lots really of people. Yeah, but that was really hard, especially me and Michael both grew up like Robin Williams was the guy for us growing up. And yeah, so that was that was definitely hard for us. Yeah, I think I remember you guys posting about that when it happened. But yeah, it was a ra- that that whole era um, was, you know, when I started to sort of formulate like my just weird, you know, silly sensibilities. Right. So when did you get the chance to start actually like? going into theater like being able to perform you know actual theater uh i mean it, i guess it depends on what you say what you consider actual theater to be <laughs> I guess, I guess, uh, but in front of an audience with a script yeah that's written. so that i i i would say i usually credit uh eighth grade mm-hmm. with that um so i was what 13 years old and uh that's when i uh, met uh, Mr. Allwright, who I mentioned before, right. and he was, he got sort of roped into teaching the, he was an English teacher mm-hmm. who got roped into teaching the drama class at my junior high. And I remember, you know, I was just, I was, oh, they, they didn't offer it when I was in seventh grade. 
but they did offer it when I was in eighth. I was like, this sounds really fun. I want to take this, you know, because I took, I took a, I'm doing air quotes, computer class <laughs> in seventh grade. And it was all about learning how to use HyperCard. I, I don't even. HyperCard was like a precursor to uh, say like a PowerPoint. Oh, okay, gotcha. And it was to help kids learn how to like sort of do basic coding. It was so stupid. <laughs> it's not used anymore. It's completely useless. Um, that skill set will never come in handy. Uh, but there you have it. So <clears throat> when they were offering drama in eighth grade, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I want to do this. Got into class, uh, started doing, you know, he was making it up as he went along. Had no idea. It was like assigning us monologues and other things out of, you know, theater books he was reading and stuff. And then he decided, you know what? It would be really fun if we put on, you know, main stage plays, either musicals or plays or whatever. And of course, if you have no idea what you're doing and you've never directed a play before and you want to do it with a bunch of junior high school students, what do you pick? Grease. That would be my choice. So that's what we did. And I played Danny Zuko and that was like, that was it for me. I mean, from that point forward, I was doing shows, main, you know, what we called the main stage plays from for the next, you know, five years in, in high school, um, just pretty consistently working, which I think is the best acting class, you know, one can take is, is being on stage and, 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 or, or at least working on material. Did you play any sports growing up? Um, sort of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, we were not, as you probably are putting the pieces together from what I'm saying, we were not the most well off, <laughs> uh, family, unfortunately, or fortunately depends on how you look at it. Right. Um, I had what I needed. Uh, I had a roof over my head and I was always, I, I, I was, I, I was never hungry, mm-hmm. you know, had clothes. Uh, so, you know, it's when you compare it to most of the world, we were doing great. We were rich. Um, so, you know, everything's relative, but we there was a lot of extracurricular things we we couldn't uh, afford or my parents couldn't afford so um anything that i played was typically wreck never really played for the schools um it was like t-ball was first um you know and that kind of thing and it 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 kind of, you know, what i was of course most interested in because i was i grew up a hockey fan was playing hockey and there was this um, street hockey team that practiced uh, just up the street from from where I grew up. And I remember I found this out and I would sort of go and just kind of like hang on the edge of the, <laughs> just kind of watch them do their thing or Dreaming, whatever. During that day when somebody gets hurt and like, we need another guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that joke that Eddie Izzard does where he's like, a creeping kid for my movie, the creeping kid. <laughs> it was a huge liability. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a it's an intense sport and very easy to get hurt. So the coaches couldn't invite me to play because if I got hurt, I wasn't insured. Right. You know, they weren't insured for me to get hurt. So they couldn't really they were like, uh, they would sort of him and ha and and a couple of times they were like, All right, can you know, come on and, and practice. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thanks. And like <laughs> I would practice, but it wasn't much. I didn't really right. do much. And and um so yeah, so T ball. I tried AYSO one year. Um, that was a oh, that went so horribly. Um, 
Did you did you know that AYSO has like an unofficial draft? No. I don't know if it still works this way, but like that that organization and the sort of the soccer moms and dads of the world, they are serious. Oh yeah. Like it is really intense. That's and crazy. so I ended up because I had never played soccer before, I ended up on the team of misfits, like the team of kids who weren't drafted, mm-hmm. who hadn't who hadn't played before, right. who weren't on you know anyone's radar. You were the little giants. Yes, and we and <laughs> great reference, and we we barely had. I remember we barely had enough players to make up a team, mm-hmm. let alone to have like subs. Right. So we were on the field the entire time. And I really enjoyed playing goaltender uh, in hockey, which is not the same thing as playing goaltender in soccer. <laughs> and I played goaltender for like the first game and it was horrible. <laughs> I got scored on so much. <laughs> my my dad came over and like stood behind the, the net to try and like talk me through something. He said, hey bud, you, you know, you got to cut down the angle. You got to get a little closer. You got to blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, was, oh, it was just so bad. So eventually uh, someone else took over that role. But we we lost every game. We never won a single game. And I was so mad at the organization that I never played again. Um, what, what's your what were your first roles uh, in, in, in theater or yeah? It, it, what were your first roles in theater? Uh, so Danny Zuko in, in eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, we ended up. Um, Theatricalizing, theatrifying, theatri- stageifying, stageifying. That's uh, good. I like that. The Breakfast Club. Hey. In hey, eighth grade, hey. so we took out all of the curse words right. and a lot of the references. So the movie was so the play was like thirty minutes. Long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we did the whole thing, and we just changed some of the some of the some of the words, uh, and it was pretty cool. I mean, I don't know how we got away with it, obviously, because like we didn't have the rights. Did you play Bender, and I played Bender. I played yeah. John Bender. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I remember that one. That was a big one. Uh, ninth grade was tough. Uh, it's sort of. <laughs> I sometimes jokingly refer to it as my lost year. I we my family moved to Utah for a year for one year, and almost everything you've ever heard about Utah is true. Um, it was awful. I was like the black sheep of the school. Um, this is not a joke. I had rocks and eggs thrown at me as I would walk to class some days. Oh wow! Um, it was it was awful, and I got so I w- I wanted to like uh, put a sort of shield around me like some mm-hmm. like some kind of wall so that like these kids couldn't hurt me anymore right and uh this kid that i grew up with who was older than me who was always like you know the older guy on my block mm-hmm. he had given me a trench coat that he used to wear uh, this black trench coat that he used to wear um all the time and i that that was it that was like my armor right i would wear it to school every day and that was the year Columbine happened. Uh, I was I was wondering. I was yep. waiting for it. So like I here's this kid. I had no I had no, like no intention whatsoever of hurting anyone, let alone bringing guns to school, let alone shooting up the school. Right. And here and I wore that trench coat almost every day to school. Ugh. And then Columbine happened and I not only did I stop wearing it, but no one like everyone was of course, you know, looking at me sideways as if they weren't already. <laughs> you know, I was already sort of this pariah there was a guy at our school that wore a black trench coat after it. Oh, um, man. Come on, ju- dude. Just to be like, to fight the man against wearing. That's not fighting the man. That's just being a jerk. Yeah. Like, you're just, you're just, you're, yeah. You don't understand what, like, resistance is. <laughs> like, what <sighs> that anyway, means. 
Uh, so yeah, so, so that year was awful, but when I came back, I ended up, uh, transferring high schools and going back to, uh, the school, uh, Mr. Allwright had actually gone from, uh, the junior high to the high school. And we did my sophomore year, uh, we did, we did Oklahoma and I played Curly. Nice. My junior year, we did a uh, little shop of horrors and I played Audrey too. Um, <laughs> my senior year, we did uh, guys and dolls and I played sky Masterson. Nice. And then this is amongst like all these other, you know, uh, straight plays that we did as well. Right. Um, and those, those are still some of my fondest, you know, memories. Is there, is there one role in, in, in either like high school or your eighth grade that you wish you could go back and do over again maybe you didn't like you like maybe you didn't put a lot of put as much effort into it or you didn't feel like you did as well as you you could have done is there one that you just wish you could have a redo whether it's like a musical or a straight play no all right good hey that's no and 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 the reason why is because like at that age going through those years of like growing up as an artist any mistakes that i made or any thing that I did that was like poor acting or poor skill set was all learning Mm -hmm. you know um I I feel like I was doing you know the best for the best that I knew how Mm. at the time now if the question was would I like to play some of those roles again as an age appropriate in an age appropriate context yes of course of course i got to play um colonel nathan jessup from a few good men nice at one point so you can't handle the truth was like my line you're like in high school like yeah exactly i mean it would sometimes get like cheers from this you know high school audience (laughs) so like i mean would i love to play that again absolutely uh, I, I don't know that I would play Curly again, but I've auditioned for Judd right. a couple of times and I would love to do that to take a crack at that. Like, you know, there's um, there and and in Sky, Sky Masterson is something that I will definitely grow into um, here in the next in the next few years. You'd have to cut that so, hair, though. I would. I would I'd have <laughs> to cut the, the hair and shave the beard. That's right. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on. So when did you start thinking about moving to LA. Now I know you said you applied and got accepted to UCLA. Yeah. Did you, what kept you here? Like what was it because the entertainment industry was, it? Yeah. you know, I wanted, I, this is definitely what I want to do after going to UCLA. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like, well, I'm already, you know, in the Super Bowl of acting, so I might as well stick around. I auditioned for, or, um, I applied to NYU, mm-hmm. UCLA, and Cal State Fullerton mm. as a sort of backup, which is not a, a backup school. Like right. they were at the time, they were in like the top 10 or something for like musical theater schools. I auditioned as an actor for UCLA, not as a musical theater performer. Mm. Um, I re-auditioned and got into the musical theater track once I was there. Right. I got rejected by NYU. I got accepted to UCLA. And I got a full ride scholarship to Cal State Fullerton. Wow. And I turned down the full ride scholarship and I will be paying student loans off for potentially the rest of my life <laughs> until I book, you know, a few break. national commercials in a row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when looking at my two options of Cal State Fullerton or, or UCLA, mm-hmm. I was like, there's that that sort of brand recognition, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And, yeah. and I just like everything in my bones was telling me to go there. And um, 
I think I made the right decision because, uh, yes, indeed, the sort of networking opportunities and the professors that I had and the the people that I met there, all of them were responsible for my first jobs out of school. I had a professor direct me in a show, a professional, you know, equity, I got paid for it show, mm-hmm. um, a casting director that I met at UCLA who who we've had on the podcast, uh, Michael Donovan, mm-hmm. uh, I met at UCLA and he gave me my first equity job. You know, it, it, everything could be tied back to that decision to, to awesome. go to UCLA. So I, I asked two main questions about UCLA your, or your time there. Um, what were what were the biggest things you took away from UCLA going into the you know to the the industry? And on the other side, did UCLA prepare you for the business of acting? No school seems to prepare anyone for the business of acting, <laughs> but I'll come back. I'll come back to that. So. <laughs> Um, your first question, mm-hmm. biggest takeaway, I would have to say, so remember <laughs> I mentioned earlier, Victorville and mm-hmm. the sort of lack of art, right? Right. You do this thing at UCLA, uh, as a, as a, as a theater major called the freshman experience. And the idea behind the freshman experience is you get sort of inundated with every possible, uh, discipline. Mm-hmm. So you take a costume shop class, you take a lighting class, you take a scenic design class, you take a stage management class, you take play reading and analysis. So there's all these different things that you take uh, your, your during what they call your freshman experience. You almost don't take any, I, in fact, I don't think I took any general uh, education classes that, that year. Mm-hmm. As part of the freshman experience, you also are required to go to several UCLA Live shows. UCLA Live is this sort of festival of shows that UCLA puts together at their various venues Mm -hmm. for a large chunk of the the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have people, uh, they have performers and and acts and, and things coming from all over the world. So I saw stuff from Japan, from Italy, from Scotland. You want to talk about a culture shock for a kid who grew up in Victorville, California, where there's no art or whatever, or very little art, I should say. Mm-hmm. I mean, just th- that was like diving into the deep end. Right. It was like somebody pushed me into a pool and I didn't know how to swim or like shoved me out of an airplane with a needle and thread. Right. It was like, good luck. Make a parachute on your way down. <laughs> um, it was... Incredible. I think what I credit UCLA with in terms of what was my biggest takeaway, I think I credit UCLA with like helping me learn what this art form is all about, helping me learn uh, what it means to be an artist. I had no concept. I did school plays. It, you know, it was very uh, protected and insulated. And I'm very grateful for that because then you don't necessarily feel the you you don't necessarily feel pressure or or like you can make mistakes like I was talking about right. before. I really feel like it turned into or or became a more aware artist. And then, and then for your second question, it seems like no school. I met I met this couple when I was living in New York. Mm. Uh, I worked with I worked with them, and uh, they said that their their little school, I can't remember the name of it, this little school that they went to, this little performing arts school they went to, performing arts college they went to, to in um, in Texas. Mm-hmm. The Their professor 
was really big on preparing them for the business side of things. Mm. And they they went over like marketing and, and business and finances and all this stuff. That story, that couple, that college, that person, that's the only time I've ever heard of a school doing uh, what I was inspired to do with the Digital Actor Workshop. Mm. Because no, I didn't feel prepared. You know, I, I it, it took me years coming out of school to realize, oh, oh yeah, this is okay. Yeah, I'm running a, I'm running a business here, mm-hmm. and I need to have some business, some some business acumen, or I need to hire somebody who does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, haven't gotten to that level yet, right. but it's definitely something I, w- I will be doing right. because uh, it it is it's a it's a it's a, it's a company, right. and you are the the CEO, the CFO, the COO, the CTO, you know, every chair level position you can I, have at a company. I think that's the problem that a lot of schools have, even down to like high school, where there's a, there's something where they don't prepare you for the life of living. Yeah. Whether it's acting or just being a human being who has to pay taxes and has to have a bank account. Yeah. And has to figure out how to balance a you know checkbook. Like they don't you know, it's it's kind of missing that form in a lot of yeah. ways. You go to economics class and you learn about basic economics, but you don't learn how to save money for retirement. Right. You know, and I think that's something that this all schools are missing in the long run. Yeah, um, and definitely could use more of. I was lucky enough that at my school at UNT, though we didn't have, um, I don't think I don't remember a lot of classes that were about the business. Our teacher, all our teachers were working actors, all Great. of them. Great. Um, and either working actors or they were working screenwriter or writers or whatnot. And some of them had done stuff on in New York and a lot of them were doing a lot of big stuff in Dallas. And so they were always willing to sit down and just talk to you about that life. And That's what awesome. I mean, so there was always that open door. You just had to, had to be motivated yeah, to, walk to go it. talk to them. You know yeah. what? I remember sitting down with one of them before we moved to Los Angeles and just talking about Los Angeles. Mm. And because she had lived here for a while. And so she just gave me a lot of pointers and a lot of like what to expect when I moved here, which was a, probably a little bit of the seed for this podcast where there really wasn't anything that you could look up to like, what's the, what's like to live in LA, Yeah, you know, other than having someone that lived here before. Yeah. Um. So from the time you went into UCLA and the time you came out of UCLA and started kind of doing your own uh, career path, how did your impressions of LA change or your feelings about LA change coming from Victorville to Los Angeles and then living here for a while through UCLA? Well, UCLA afforded me a nice, uh, a sort of easier transition. Thankfully, it was like a, it was a very, once again, sort of insulated, protected way of coming to a big city. Mm -hmm. Um, I lived on campus my first two years. I lived just off campus with um, uh, some really good friends for junior and senior year. It was a a nice introduction to the city. I could kind of learn about at least the West side, you know, UCLA is in Westwood. And and for anybody who's thinking about coming to Los Angeles, just know that like when we say LA, we're talking about a giant sprawling city with all of these different elements. And where UCLA is, is nowhere near uh, where like Hollywood is. And that that drive alone takes 35, 40 minutes without traffic. Um, so anyway, I know uh, that drive decently well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's massive. Mm-hmm. So I knew the West side, I knew 
Westwood. I knew, uh, you know, Santa Monica, you know, the sort of beach cities, Venice, um, and in uh, Culver City and sort of that mm-hmm. that area. So thankfully, that was a sort of smooth transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried really hard to keep LA small for myself, and what I mean by that is like, I I had you know a really good group of friends, and you know, was lucky enough to have started a theater company while in school and just continue to work with them outside of school mm-hmm. uh, or after graduation. And, you know, just tried to sort of keep L.A. this 99-seat theater community for myself or, you know, the friends that I was making theater with uh, for myself or just close college friends who I was still friends with and, and spending time with. Just try to keep it as sort of neighborhoody as possible. So coming out of school, I had, you know, I had a job, I had the theater company and had a really solid, you know, group of friends. And and I think that really, that really helped because I still, I still have a hard time identifying the personality of Los Angeles where it's really easy for me after only spending less than two years there, it's really easy for me to identify the personality of New York. Right. You know, if, if there was anywhere else I would live other than LA, it would be New York. Mm. That'd be the uh, maybe yeah. Ireland, but that'd be that'd <laughs> nice. be like retirement. <laughs> yeah. Do um, it. Uh, so, what was your, uh, as you guys say on your podcast, your first thrival job? So, in school, when I was still at UCLA, mm-hmm. I worked at the campus, the on-campus store. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this big building in the center of campus at UCLA called Ackerman Union, and inside there they have the campus store. And I didn't work at like the big store where you buy all the clothes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, my best friend in college got me a job at the sort of the place where kids go to like take their yearbook photo, take their graduation photo, purchase pre-order yearbooks if they wanted them, buy their cap and gown, gotcha. send out, you know, graduation invitations, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool because it was a super small staff um and, you know, I could obviously set my hours because, you know, we're in college, so right. they get it like you you set your hours around class and I was just making like a little bit of, you know, uh, gas money or whatever right. from from there um and then in like somewhere between like my junior and senior year um i got a job at uh apple and ended up working at, a, at an apple retail store for the last year of school and then into the next oh geez like three years or so after college mm-hmm. left the company came back again left again came back again <laughs> it's been the way that i've I still work there now. It's been the way that I've avoided waiting tables right. as a thrival job. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just knew that for me, it was not going to be a good situation. <laughs> That's not a good fit for you. <clears throat> not a good fit for me. Not nice. a good fit. Yeah. So when you came out, what were some of the things you did to kind of begin to prepare yourself for the active you know, career of, of acting? So we did have one class that was kind of helpful when it comes to the business side of things and Mm -hmm. it's this like musical it was a musical theater audition prep class uh which was and is still taught by michael donovan the casting director he's still working there that was the closest we had to some kind of like you need to have your headshots and here's what makes a good headshot and here's what makes a good resume and and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that was helpful. That sort of got like the material side of things out of the way. We were able to ask him questions as a casting director right. uh, and so on. So that was really, really helpful. He actually brought in 
other reps, managers, agents, other casting directors, et cetera. And they would sort of give us feedback. A lot of us got meetings out of that class. And I actually got my first agent right out of school because of that of that class. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so that that was really that was really cool. And then beyond that, like I said, a lot of my I was lucky to have gone to a school or you know with other working professionals, and a lot of my first jobs uh, were because of those opportunities. Right. That's fantastic to meet those people and kind of experience that knowledge firsthand of like from the people that are actually getting that stuff. That's something I, tr- I even even outside of like school, I feel that's missing a lot is the knowledge of the business of theater yeah. uh, or, or, or film and television. Um, one, one of the books I read before we moved here and it was kind of the catalyst for us to move here because my wife is not in the entertainment industry by any means. She, mm. she, she rarely goes to the movies unless it's something that really catches her eye. Um, so her moving to California with me was like the biggest shock that she was willing to do that in the world. And I constantly thank her for that. But there was a book that, uh, uh, and I've mentioned it before on, the, on this podcast, that Robert Ben Grant and um, Thomas Lennon wrote, who they both did Reno 911 and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Um, they wrote a bo- book called Making, uh, Making Movies for Fun and Profit. <laughs> and fun is crossed off on the title. Oh. And basically their book is about the business of being in the industry Got it. and their biggest thing that they say all the time is you have to be in Los Angeles. Like if you want to do independent films all your life, something like New York's great. But if you want to make money and actually have a career making a living and making good money doing this, you've got to be in Los Angeles. Interesting. But they also talk about like getting management and agents and talk about their experiences, getting agents and <clears> pitching <throat> and stuff like that. And so that was the first book I read that wasn't, you know, when you're writing a script, you need to do this type of font. And this stuff, it was about the business. And it was, even though there's some funny things like that stuff in it, yeah. there's so much great stuff. Like they talk, they give stories about being in note, uh, executive note meetings and oh, it's great. getting crappy notes from executives and how to, how to handle that. Yeah. And, and so, or how to handle like when they call you the day before, like, Hey, can you guys fix this script in two days? You know, we will pay you this much money, like stuff like that, where it's yeah. just, it was so fascinating. And and so um, whenever you get that experience to learn from someone that's in the business is it, it's so it's kind of it's kind of rare. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It's huge. It's invaluable. I I talked about on Inside Acting once uh, the idea of putting together like a either either getting yourself one really solid mentor or putting together like a, 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 a team. group, a team. Yeah. Yeah. Of like say, you know, three to five mm-hmm. that you can kind of um, reach out to from time to time. So you're not, you know, always sort of bothering the same yeah. person. Um, not that it's bothering I me. Mean, you have to be sort of tactful about, you know, reaching out. But I think the idea of mentorship, you know, we used to have, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Journeyman mm-hmm. apprenticeship, you know, that that's sort of right. uh, when when you're talking about like a blacksmith or something, mm-hmm. you sort of work your way right, up like squire, <clears throat> apprentice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's not that sort of uh, that's not a thing that we sort of practice in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I just think it would be invaluable to, especially somebody who is uh, an actor or a writer right. or a director or something like that. Well, one of the things you hear all the time when people talk about their journeys to getting to where they were, to getting staffed and stuff like that, they always, one part of that story always has, and this person took me under their wing. Right. Every time. Yeah. This guy mentored me and I owe my whole career to this one person. When they say it's who you know, it's it's not it's who you know. It's that people want to work with their friends Mm -hmm. and people, (laughs) I just am making this up right now, but people are the only people who can get you jobs. Mm -hmm. Like machines can't get you jobs, uh, at least not yet. Uh, Computers can't get you jobs. You know, people are the only people who can get you jobs. And and so, you know, I got last night, I was sitting there, I was texting you, Mm -hmm. like confirming everything today. Mm -hmm. And I got a Facebook message from this woman that I did a one day reading with like a month or two ago mm-hmm. and she's pretty big in the industry. Like she's like uh, written and produced television shows and her husband's a producer and all wow. this stuff. And I got this Facebook message from her. She's like, Hey, you sing, right? Uh, yeah. She's like, do you have any video of you singing? I sent her shicks. goddess. <laughs> I sent her a couple of other things I have on YouTube mm-hmm. and, and I have no idea why she's like, I'll tell you why later. <laughs> cool. Great. I hope this means a job in my future. But it, that's the thing is like, that of course that's how it happens of course that's how you hear how it happens because that's how it happens yeah like every single time i ran into i ran into the casting director for ncis la outside of uh, outside of the amundsen theater Mm -hmm. in downtown la uh just a few weeks ago totally recognized me i because i went into audition for him maybe a dozen times before i booked that and he was like oh hey what's up introduced me to his husband uh you know this is my fiance how's it going da 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 i was like he cast me just clarify your fiance not his husband and his fiance that's true (laughs) oh congratulations by the way oh thank you sir yes my fiance i introduced my fiance to him (laughs) this is who cast me in uh, ncis la so people um you know they have really good memories uh, they are, they want to work with their friends mm-hmm. and it's really just about us showing up and continuing to do good work. Right. That's the most important thing because right. if you show up and either you're an asshole or you suck mm-hmm. and I don't mean like you suck as in, you know, you're a bad, there's no, there's really no such thing as being a bad actor. Right. Like you wouldn't be on the set or in the you film or cast, yeah. you wouldn't have got cast. You wouldn't be there if you were a bad actor. So you can let that go mm-hmm. and just be yourself and just like, you know, be cool and do your job. Don't be there for you. Like that's the biggest thing. Like one of the things we talk about a lot of this is be Absolutely. there for the team. Absolutely. And be there. You're you're a part of a, a machine. Absolutely. And if you're if you you're that machine that won't move until you get your coffee, then you're not you're playing the wrong game. I can't tell you how many times I've asked a very what I think is a very simple question. Trying to see around a corner, right? Like director asked me to do something. I can see where the camera is, mm-hmm. I can see where the other actors are, and I go, you know what? If we play this out, that, you know, the lead is going to end up getting blocked by my head or their back is going to be the camera or something's going to happen, right? And I'm right. sure they're going to get coverage, but I should at least ask the question. Mm-hmm. Go to the, the director and say, hey, you know, if I do what you asked me to do, I think I'm going to be blocking number one on the call sheet, right. number two on the call, call sheet. Right. Then kind of look at it and go... Oh, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. No. um, You know what? Just take like half a step back. Mm-hmm. We'll be okay. We'll get this other coverage, right? Yeah. They're so grateful. Mm-hmm. I And I've asked questions sometimes where like someone else wasn't thinking of it. Even the cameraman. 
You know, the cinematographer, whoever's sitting there, if I'm working with B team, right. you know, in some other place, the director's not even around. Right. And so the AD or the cinematographer is actually directing this little thing where I'm like, I don't know, I was putting together like a gun in right. uh, in Broken Horses, you know, and I'm like, you know, that it's, it's, you're right. It's all a collaborative process. And I'm very appreciative of the theater training because I feel like in the theater, we learn that collaboration and you can and should take all of those lessons with you on set. Mm-hmm. Maybe the acting and the energy and whatever you put into in being in front of the camera is different, mm-hmm. but the but the collaborative mindset mm-hmm. isn't or shouldn't be. Oh, and, and the collaborative mindset, definitely because with especially with mo- most theater, is you see each other before you even start rehearsing for a while because you probably do some script analysis. You do read-throughs you talk about the script especially if it's Shakespeare you probably do some yeah you know talking about the, your characters and then you have rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal and then you perform it maybe maybe five times maybe 20 times you know yeah. whatever the length of the run is yeah. so there's definitely definitely a different feeling whereas you know when it comes to film you kind of feel like a piece that's inserted into a group especially if it's like a show yeah. That's been on for eight years. years. Yeah. yeah. And and so it's always interesting when you hear like people who are, were guest spots on shows that have been going on for a while. And like they were the nicest people. And it was a squeaky clean process. Yeah. And they they were in and out. And it's like, especially when you go into something like that, don't be the hump that screws that up. You ha- yeah, right. You have to know your you have to know your place. Yeah. And I'm not saying like stay in your lane or no, just, know your know place. Your, know, just know your place. Know, know your, your position on that call sheet. Know where you stand on that call yes. sheet and be grateful for being there. You're stepping into someone else's story. You're mm-hmm. stepping into someone else's show and on this whole peep this whole group, their their family. Mm-hmm. They've been doing this for whatever, you know, 8 years or whatever. Right. So you're just there to do a job. You do your job. And if you see something that you think you can support in terms of the collaborative process, ask a question. Ask a PA. Ask, you know, the nearest wrangler, the person who's sort of responsible for you. And remember, this may be your first day on set, but it's not like number one on the call sheet's first day on set. So you may be like the little puppy dog that's super excited to be on set, but he's just trying to get home. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you got to it's, – it's reading the room. It's knowing – who to approach and when to approach them also. Cause I'm sure if you would have gone to that director at a different moment and he would have been like, get away from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to know exactly that right time, feel the room and feel when it's best for you to speak up yeah. and when it's best for you to move to the left, to the right, whatever they tell you to do. Yeah. Um, we could talk about this all day. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit about theater, uh, a little bit more about theater. Tell me, you know, talk to me about the war cycle trilogy. So the theater company that I mentioned earlier that we started in in college and and continued after graduation was called the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble. Mm -hmm. And our our artistic director uh, is a gentleman by the name of Tom Burmester, who is currently getting his Ph.D. uh, at UC Davis. Um, Really brilliant guy. And it was another like like I was saying in, in sort of junior high and high school, another sort of highlight of my theatrical or, or acting, you know, uh, career or, or, or artistic life, if you will. Um, we put together, um, these play, we, we made a commitment that we were going to write, uh, a, and produce a play about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan every year for as long as they were going on. Um, that proved to be more challenging than, than 
we had anticipated. So what we did was we just we just worked and workshopped while you know as much as possible, and we ended up with three plays. There are sort of skeletons of of others. Um, so you know it could become uh, the War Cycle quadrilogy or something. I think that's so, when it becomes an epic. An epic or a saga. It becomes a saga. A so- the War Cycle a saga. saga. War Cycle cycle. An epic. After the War four. Cycle cycle. <laughs> Uh, we did. We ended up doing three plays: uh, "Wounded uh, Nation of Two and "Gospel According to First Squad," and they are, um, as individual plays, incredible, and as a group of plays, just like mind-boggling how how good we ended up. Um, it was a once again a very collaborative process. We did lots of interviews. We turned those interviews into characters. We turned those characters into scenes and turned those scenes into improvs and then recorded the improvs and then went back and wrote, uh, you know, turned those those improvs into into back into scenes and then structured those scenes into into a show. Um, and it was a, a really incredible uh, process. And and the show's got all kinds of uh, amazing attention. We were on the cover of the LA Weekly. Wow. Um, we were nominated for a bunch of Ovation Awards. Um, you, you were nominated for the final one, right? Yeah, w- the entire ensemble uh, okay. was nominated gotcha. for uh, for Gospel According to First Squad, and then and then um, we sort of got mentions often in reviews around town from the various you know uh, theater reviewers in Los Angeles saying why isn't this type of theater, meaning really well done, 99-seat theater, being seen more, being produced more? Why aren't the, you know, the sort of CTGs of the World CTG Center Theater Group, which is the biggest theater company in Los Angeles, why aren't they producing this kind of work? Mm-hmm. And CTG now does something called the Block Party, which is um, a six-week run, so three different plays, two weeks each, of local L.A. Yeah, I've definitely heard about that. I certainly am not going to take credit for it. I don't think our theater company can take credit for it, but I definitely feel a sense of pride in sort of pushing the narrative that, you know, the the L.A. theater scene is 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 uh, beautiful and interesting and uh, arresting and and should be seen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So so you you auditioned for Hamilton. I'm going to say, say this as nicely and calmly as possible. That was a big jump. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, we have, I have a lot of stuff here. And I we do have sure. a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm trying to feel like, okay, what's what's what what have we kind of already kind of put together and what, what can we move move forward with? So you auditioned for Hamilton. This kind of leads into New York a little bit as well. Um, how did that happen? You know, you, you said you auditioned three times. What parts did you audition for? How did you prepare for it? And how did it feel to audition for arguably the biggest show in the u.s right now and maybe the world we have this uh guest who's come on the show a couple times named michael kostroff and he has this saying that's where he says um you're not statistically you're not booking the fucking job so let that go so i knew going into all three of these that i was not going to book this Mm -hmm. takes the pressure off makes it more fun and it's like my favorite musical ever so i'm like i'm just having a good time right the way i mean there's lots of ways that it sort of all comes together i think being in new york doing heathers um that allowed me to meet a couple of really interesting people some of the producers some of the producers of the original movie mm-hmm. i ended up getting a meeting with um some of the higher the, actually the two higher ups at um uh, telsey and company which is the largest casting direct 
casting director company in New York. Nice. They cast everything, mm-hmm. including Hamilton. My, I still have agents in New York from when I lived there, and they, um, they just do they do a really good job. They submit me for you know everything I'm right for, and nice. and I get a lot. I still get a lot of uh, auditions for um, film, television, and and theater in in New York. So. Uh, finally got this one. Uh, it was a on tape audition cause they were only accepting sort of auditions and submissions in New York. Right. And it was for just general male ensemble, mm-hmm. fell in love with the musical, ended up just listening to it nonstop, memorizing the whole thing. Like many, many people, including, you know, I've seen seven year old kids like yeah. singing it. Um, sometimes younger. Uh, second time I auditioned was for George Washington. And the third time I auditioned was for George Washington and Hamilton. Oh, wow. Um, and that was the only one that was actually in the room. The other two were on tape. The third one was actually in the room. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is they gave me a ton of material. It's like three or four songs Mm -hmm. per role. So three for Hamilton, three for George Washington. They weren't the entire song. There was like one or two that were the entire song and the rest were just snippets, a verse, a chorus, whatever. But I go in the room and obviously they have like people to get through, right? They're in a hurry just like any other audition, but I can imagine being more so with this. Mm -hmm. And they had me do every single piece of material. Oh, wow. So I went from one to the other, to the other, to the other. So you're probably in there, what, 20 minutes probably? Uh, No, because with the snippets and everything, it's probably closer to like 10, 15. Okay. And it was a lot. It was just a ton of material. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't expecting that, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take right. it as like a good sign that like they weren't just done. Like, okay, great. You know, right. we've seen enough kind of after two two right. songs or whatever. I, I only went over once to like take a sip of water mm-hmm. and put it down and wanted to make sure that I wasn't like, you know, taking up more time right. in the room than, than necessary. And then we got to the end and he was like, okay, thanks. That's all we need to see. And like I went over to get my stuff and I kind of had a smile on my face and like sort of this like small chuckle. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I was like, oh, that. And then so then when I realized he was open to joking, I turned to him <laughs> and was like, oh, that's all you need to see. Like, that's it. Just those six pieces of. And so we had a laugh and I said, thanks and have a good session and 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 left. You know, it's thrilling. I I I, I said to my best friend, um, Ben Whitehair before going into that uh, that room, I said, you know what? For however long today, I'm in Hamilton and I have an audience of one or two or whoever many right. people are going to be in the room. And how awesome is that? Like right. everybody wants to be in this show. I get to be in it for, you know, five minutes or whatever right. it was. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on just getting the auditions for for that. Especially as you said, I'm sure there's a ton of people auditioning for those things or submitting to audition for that. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so kind of keeping with, you know, Hamilton started in New York. So we'll move to New York. You moved to New York. I did for, for a while. Yeah. Uh, what was, what was the decision to move, to leave LA to go to New York for a little bit? Honestly, I made it way harder on myself than I should have. <laughs> um, I think it was just a, a matter of, you know, having a hard time getting outside of my comfort zone. And I don't think I'll be making that mistake again uh, because it was such an awesome experience. And I don't know why I was questioning it to begin with, but um, I auditioned for and got into the workshop production of this very silly and fun uh, show called Heather's Mm -hmm. the musical, um, which uh, uh, workshops here in Los Angeles. And then they, uh, they got accept or invited to, um, the New World Stages, which is the largest off-Broadway theater in New York, and um, 
Michael Coco, who was the artistic director at the time, had seen the show here in L.A. And they had a few different offers. And that's the one that they they decided to go with, the producers of Heather's. And uh, we all had to re-audition for sure, yeah. uh, the show. And about two-thirds of us got the um, got uh, the offer again. And so, like I said, I made it way too hard on myself. But eventually, <laughs> you know, long story short, we did end up going. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was awesome. What was it like? you know, leaving a place, how long, when you, when you moved to New York, how long had you been in LA? Well, I got, uh, accepted into, or, you know, I left, I graduated high school in 2002. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I went to college in 2002. And then, uh, that was 2013 was the workshop and 2014 was the, the move. So it was about 11 and a half years. So you, you had been pretty settled here yeah. in Los Angeles by that time. Yeah. What was it like to completely, maybe personally not completely, but have to rebuild your life a little bit, you know, in a, in a totally new area that has a new feel. Yeah. You know, you know, Los Angeles is very spread out. Whereas New York is very, very closed end. Yeah. Um, you know, there's tall, the buildings are everywhere. You walk everywhere. You, you don't really need a car as much. Yeah. You know, what was, you know, what was it like kind of going back and, you know, going from here to there? Well, well, once I stopped making it hard on myself, <laughs> once I was like, okay, this is okay. <laughs> it, it, once I turned it into the adventure that it was, it was, it was a blast. Yeah. It was a blast. We drove across the country instead of, uh, instead of, uh, flying and shipping stuff or whatever. We, we drove and took a van full of stuff. Um, we, uh, you know, got to stop uh, along the way and, and experience some cool things and, uh, landed at a, a, a stu- little studio apartment in mid city that we were, that we subletted for a few, uh, weeks before moving up to, to Harlem and lived in Harlem the, the rest of the time that we were there. Uh, honestly, it was, it was just so fun. It was so much fun. And, and the, the practicalities of it are are intimidating and scary but you can handle it like anybody we can it's it can be handled i sub you know we subletted our room here in la and then eventually someone else took over the rent there when we obviously weren't coming back for a while um we sold a bunch of stuff put everything else in storage or or brought it to like my parents or my sister's house and then put the rest of it in this van and drove across and we had somewhere to land when we got there because you know it's the age of social media and we just put it out on social media and said, Hey, we need a place to stay. And and we had a few, you know, hits right away. So, you know, the sort of practicalities, they'll get handled. And that's the scary part. Uh, Getting outside of your comfort zone also is a a little bit of the scary part, but it's just so much fun, just such an adventure, you know, to go and do that. So um, if there was one thing I would change about it, it was like not starting out from a place of like, oh, I don't know if I should do this or not. <laughs> what is, what was your takeaways, uh, being off Broadway and, and, and doing the show in New York? Like what's something you kind of took away from that or learned from that experience or some things? Well, uh, in terms of the show itself, obviously it was the first time, well, I had done, you know, professional, I've been, you know, paid to be in musical theater before. So I'd done professional theater, I'd done professional musical theater, but being, but doing it on, I guess that scale was different. And, you know, it's, it's a job, like you show up, you learn the music, you, you, you sort of, you, you, you study, then you go and do choreography for a little while and you dance. And then, you know, the director's like working the scenes and you're, and, and everybody's just sort of like, working really hard to make the best thing 
possible. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely this sense of, oh, I don't want to be the one that screws this up. Like, right. I don't want to be the one that like looks foolish or, or whatever. So I, I just worked really hard. I worked my ass off. And I remember getting sort of like complimented by the choreographer and I'm, I'm six three, two hundred pounds. Like I'm, I'm kind of lanky and gawk, you know, awkward. And it, you know, I, 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 to to show someone that I can move well, like I, I'll take that. Like that's a great compliment. <laughs> I will take that. Thank you very much. So, um, you know, I, I just, I just worked really hard as far as the show. And then, um, in terms of the sort of the business aspect of of just being in New York, being off Broadway, being um, in the sort of like Broadway and off Broadway community, it is, it's, it's, it's insane. It's like its own universe, not its own world, not its own city, not its own, you know, business. It's a whole universe that I could, we could do a whole podcast just on that. Um, Maybe we will. Maybe we will. But the, the, being in that community and watching just watching shows close that's such a great microcosm of actually what i'm trying to get at you're in this community you want everybody to do well because if everybody does well your show does well and that year we were watching you know rocky close um motown close again what else it was just thing stuff was like uh, bronx bombers um, things were just dropping like flies. And I think it happens every single season. The Hamiltons of the world are so, so rare. So rare. Um, and and stuff was just closing, you know, left and right. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know that we're going to make it out of this season. I don't know that we're going to have, you know, a full run. And we didn't. We closed a month and a half early than planned. It's it's crazy, and I remember in the first week of rehearsal, Andy Fickman, our director, sitting us down, and he and he said something like, "If you want to do a Broadway musical, it would be better for you to make a large pile of cash in the middle of Times Square and light it on fire. You'd probably end up ahead um, by comparison, and um, it's it's no joke. It's like this whole other you know universe, and 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 you know there are some definite similarities to the juggernaut that is the studio system of like Los Angeles. But uh, in in terms of like people being scared about risk and like wanting the best possible, you know, uh, people involved and, and, and so on. But it's, um, yeah, it's a beast, man. It's a whole other animal, a whole other universe out there. Absolutely. I mean, congratulations on doing it. I mean, just going there and making it happen whether it closed early or not is huge. And so that's just a fantastic, fantastic achievement in your career. I think, you yeah. know, what would you, when you moved back, what was, how, how was it to move back? What did you feel like? Did you kind of have to re insulate yourself here in Los Angeles or when, you know, how did, how was that feeling coming back? Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, I was only somewhat excited. I had an opportunity to teach, um, the third year MFAs at UCLA mm-hmm. for a quarter. And um, I was really excited about that. And, and the guy we were subletting from in New York wanted to move back in. So it just like the timing was like, all right, I guess it's time to go, to go back. So, so we did. Um, right. I was, I was not a hundred percent enthusiastic about it, but I had some cool things to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now that we're 
now that we're here, we've been back over a couple of years, we're, we're sort of settled. Um, it's, it's, we're in a much better place. Um, we definitely miss New York. We know we're going to end up back there at some point, but we're not really in a rush. Yeah. Um, mostly it's, uh, financial considerations. We're just trying to get ourselves into a better place, um, than we were when we moved back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and we are, we're getting there and it's, 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 um, it's great. Uh, I, I've, I feel um, satisfied in a way that I didn't uh, for the first, you know, sort of couple of years being back. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to, to going back, you know, with a job or yeah. something at some point. I'm, I'm, I, I love, like I said, I love New York. And I, anytime I get to go, just to go visit New York is, is just the feeling of it is like, that's my kind of city. Yeah. Like, it's just got that. You can't describe it. The feeling. It's such of a New great York. energy. And, mm-hmm. and, pe- and people get tired of it mm-hmm. you know i i heard i would hear stories of people like oh i've been here 12 years i gotta get out of here and they leave and they go either back home or they go to another major market like chicago mm-hmm. or they move out to la or whatever i never felt that granted we were there less than two years but it just feels like even if i don't end up settling long term in new york i don't feel like i was done with new york if that makes sense Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed part one with AJ Meyer. It was so fun to sit down with him for a few hours and just chat about his life and where he's come from and New York and Heathers and everything. It was it was a really great experience. So I'm glad uh, I got to share part one with you guys. Um, just a few things to talk about. Uh, you know, there's so much left in this conversation for Act Two, but just want to bring up a few points that you know kind of came up during this conversation. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about was how Trevor and him met were in this uh, kind of theater collective where they came up with a series of plays through improving scenes. And they basically took the improv scenes as they got better and then wrote scripts out of them. And I think something to come out of that is, you know, working with a team for a common goal, you know, here at Hollywood hustle, that's what we're doing. We have a, a team of four right now, me, Michael, uh, uh, someone I'll mention here in a little bit or a newest member. And then we have Gordon who I mentioned in my, uh, last act one. And, you know, we have to work together as a common goal. You know, we have to be on the same team. We have to know what the mission is and everybody has to agree on where they want this to go. Everybody agreed together. They wanted to write scripts and perform them based on this improv. We agree. We want to take Hollywood hustle podcast totally to new places and different places. And that's, that's important as a team. You have to be on the same page with the same goal and you have to work together for it. If somebody is a little off or not sure about it, that can really hurt the team. So I really found that important about collaboration and working together with others was really important. The other thing that really kind of came to me with this part of the interview was talking about Heather's and how it was a really huge thing for, you know, AJ to take this show from Los Angeles to New York and off Broadway. And he moved to New York and he was there for so long and performing the show and, and kind of when it failed, how how it hit him. And it took a little bit to recover from that. And it's really interesting because, you know, failure's a harsh term. And it has this connotation of letting someone down, whether it's your, yourself or, some, or, or somebody else, and not accomplishing something. You failed at what you were going for. And, again, it's a harsh term. And I, I've, I've put this out on Twitter before that I feel like we need to come up with another word or another phrase other than failure. 
you know, attempted success, um, you know, a educational moment or some that I know some people popped up with because f- failure is not the end. Failure is not that something didn't work. It's just that it wasn't right in its wholeness. So it may not have been you. It may have been something else. It may have been a multitude of things that caused it not to work. And when failure happens, it's a, it's a moment to learn. It's a moment to, to, to look forward to the next success. You know, failure shouldn't be this bad thing. It should just be attempts at success because that's what it is. You know, it took Edison how many times to come up with the light bulb and the telephone and all these things? And how many times do painters work with their strokes and their, their things to find that right piece of art? You know, I, I work on outlines several times over to make sure we get the right questions. And it's, it's important that you know that just because something doesn't work the first time doesn't mean it's over. You're not a good actor or you're not a good writer just means something there wasn't right. And it's just working to get better, to learn from that mistake. You know, football players and teams, when they lose a game, they don't just fire the team. They don't just get a whole new team. They go, they watch the tape, they see the mistakes they made, and they fix them. As a writer, I've written stuff that was terrible, and I would go back and write another draft. That's what, you know, draft one is not a success. It's a failure. It's always a failure because you're missing points you overdo something the dialogue sounds forced or the the story's not there or one of the characters isn't fully fleshed out or this story doesn't make sense and you know blah 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 but that's it's not failure it's just attempts at success so you go back you write the second draft and maybe you fix a few things and maybe there's still some other things that aren't working and you keep going you keep pushing you keep moving forward and uh what i'm going to talk about here in a little bit kind of connects with this so, you know, I was really proud with AJ talking about how he kind of got back on his feet and he kept working and he didn't let this like, you know, it was a big moment for him working off Broadway and he didn't let it destroy him when it didn't work as he wanted. It didn't work out as he wanted, but you never know why you went there. Why did that fail? Why were you a part of that failure? What did you learn and what did you take away that now makes you better? So it's always being open to what the world's trying to teach you, what the universe is trying to teach you, what you need to learn to be better in your art. So those are the things I really took away from this conversation. And there's a lot more in part two that Michael will discuss, but uh, uh, it's it's so good. And and thank you so much for listening to it. Uh, A few things to talk about uh, about the podcast and Hollywood Hustle. Uh, first of all, we have added a new member to the team. Her name is Arnobi. She is our uh, social media manager and strategist and community manager. Uh, we recently had a company meeting with her and and Michael uh, Gordon, our other member of our team, couldn't be there, unfortunately. But we talked a lot about the company and where it's going, where it's headed, what our goals are for it over the long term and the short term, and what we need to be better. <clears throat> you know, talking about failure I've tried so many different marketing strategies that have worked. Some haven't. And, and again, that's just failure to learn. And I've learned so much from it. But our Nobi's going to come in and she's going to help really focus our brand in marketing and social media and our website. So our website's probably going to be changing here in the next few months. Our social media starting in April is definitely going to be different, but definitely more brand focused on who we are, how we want to uh, you know connect with you guys, the listeners, and build this community. We want to connect with you a lot more. We want to be there for you guys, for your support, for your help, for your advice. And we want to be 
a group of people building to a common goal that we all succeed at our dreams. So uh, that's a lot of focus is going to come to that here in the next few weeks, Um, especially this idea of us being the Working Artist Podcast. That's something I've really been thinking about. Uh, Our good friend uh, Keitra wrote that in a review on iTunes for us. And I thought I think that's just a perfect idea for what this show is, the Working Artists Podcast. And that's what we're here for. Uh, we're going to start doing some giveaways on social media. So keep your eyes out open for that. Uh, we're going to be asking for you guys to design some stuff or guess some stuff or other things to, to win some uh, coffee gift cards, uh, special prizes from guests. So keep a lookout for that. We're really excited about that. Um, as you know and as you've seen, our podcast has evolved from the beginning. Uh, we've changed the structure. We change how we do intros and outros. We used to do them together, me and Michael. And then we kind of separated and each took one act. Um, and we're actually going to change it one more time. We're still trying to find that right mix, that right recipe. Again, failure to succeed. And so starting after our, starting after our next team hustle, uh, we will be doing the outros together. So one of us will handle a short intro to lead into the episode. And then we're going to come back, introduce the other person in, and then we're going to discuss the episode and talk about whatever business we need to t- discuss dealing with the podcast or any contests or giveaways. So we're really excited about that to be able to discuss with each other again the episodes and really have a conversation about what we took away and what we hope you guys took away from the episode. So we're looking forward to that. And like I said, the brand is going to be focusing uh, a lot differently coming up and really just figuring out who we are. And that's really been this journey over the last years. What is Hollywood Hustle and how is it connecting with other people? And I think we're really figuring that out. And I think with our Nobis help, we're really going to find that brand focus that we really needed. Um, Just a reminder, email us your pictures of your behind the scenes or on set or your passions and your hustles. We want to share those on our social media, on Instagram and on Twitter. So email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com with any pictures that you've been working on. Uh, let us know what's going on and what your uh, uh, Instagram and your Twitter tag are so we can share those and tag you with them. Make sure you're going on and leaving reviews for us on iTunes. That always helps us get more focus on iTunes, more eyes on us, uh, which is really important. So leave us five stars, four stars, leave a comment. That would be amazing. We're actually going to start working on some incentives to uh, bring out people uh, to leave reviews and stuff. So keep a look out there and make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Twitter, LA Hustlecast, Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast. And every Friday between 12 and 1 Pacific Standard Time, we all f- pretty much regularly do an Instagram live stream for about an hour. Uh, usually it's me and Michael, or it might just be me and a guest. But uh, we sometimes give away things if you're there. Uh, this last time, all the people that were there, uh, I gave them access to a script I've been working on so they could read it and give me their ideas and their thoughts and just get a preview of it and also prove that I'm actually a writer and know what I'm talking about, which is important. So make sure you follow us. Uh, again, email us, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions for p- former guests that we've had, we're in contact with all our previous guests. So please let us know and we will share that question with them and get back to you with an answer. We want to hear from you. We want to hear about your struggles, your questions, and your passions. Speaking of passion, I just wanted to kind of wrap this up to talk a little bit about the phrase and the term and the meaning of passion. I've been reading this book called Launch Your Dream, and it's this guy who has a year-long entrepreneur class that he teaches. He kind of condensed the whole thing to a 30-day workbook called Launch Your Dream. And in the first chapter, he talks about how the word passion 
has been watered down. And it doesn't really mean to us what it's supposed to mean. And he mentions that passion derives from the word passio or passio, uh, which is a Latin word for suffering. So when it comes to your passion, a true passion is something you're willing to suffer for. And that really struck me when I read that because it really starts, you know, people say I have a passion for music or I have a passion for this or that. And I can't say I would I would struggle or suffer for music. I can't say I would suffer for the show Lost, even though I have a passion for that show. But I can say I would suffer for writing and I would suffer for this podcast and the Hollywood Hustle brand. And, and what, you know, depending on what you call suffering, maybe I have, I don't know. Uh, frustrations and upsetness and uh, uh, late nights. So who knows what what you're what is suffering? But it was a really strong thing to read to learn that this is what passion means. So I want to challenge you to look at your life and what you consider your passions, and see which ones would you suffer for: poetry, writing, acting, directing cinematography, photography, what passion in your life would you suffer for? Do you suffer for? Whether it's not eating because you're not making any money, but you're just doing what you love. Is it teaching? Is it cooking? Like, what is your passion? What is it you're willing to suffer for? And let us know. Send us an email. I'm really curious because it's important to be honest with yourself about where you are and what you're doing and be able to focus your energy on your true passion, not just stuff that you love or interest, but your true passion. What is that? What is it? What do you suffer for? Um, There's a great quote by Joseph Campbell, passion will move men, I'm going to add this, or women, beyond themselves, beyond their shortcomings, beyond their failures. And that really, that quote, I think makes sense, especially talking about, you know, uh, AJ and the Heather's failure and him having to come back to L.A., that your true passion moves you beyond those failures, beyond the missteps and the shortcomings and the problems towards something bigger, something bigger than you, something you are supposed to go towards, that right path. So when it's a true passion, failure ain't nothing, man. You shrug it off, you learn from it, and you move on. That's passion. That's suffering and coming out better for it. So know what your passion is, hold on to it tight, and embrace your failures or your success attempts, and keep moving forward, guys. That's all I got. Until next week, I love you, we love you, and remember, keep up the hustle. This episode was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Gordon Meacham is our associate producer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information, visit our website at hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Hollywood Hustle Podcast.